Welcome to the Keep Texas Red podcast, where we discuss the importance of true conservative values. Follow us on KeepTexasRed.org. And now, here's your host, campaign strategist and political commentator, Joseph Vargas. Our guest today is a conservative Republican family woman and a longtime community leader. She was an organizer for the Stop the Steal rallies, and she was a Republican nominee for District 28 in 2020. She is running for the U.S. House of Representatives for Texas Congressional District 28. Welcome to the Keep Texas Red podcast, Sandra Witten. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you, Sandra. Now, this is not your first rodeo. We understand that in 2020, you were the Republican nominee for District 28. So what did you learn from that race that's better prepared you to work on this race in 2022? Ooh, uh, you know, you, you learn a lot. Uh, some of it's trial by fire. Some of it is, uh, you know, things change. But uh, overall, you learn where people's hearts are. And that that's a learning curve that you have to take regardless of, of where you're at or who you are. Uh, I'm fortunate that I live where I'm running. So I'm able to, I know the people, I know our constituents. I, I, I have relationships that are now, you know, three years old, if you will, with people in our district and across the state. So th- that, that says something. There's consistency there. There's, you know, that's something you can't learn. It's something you have to earn. And I'm honored that I have those relationships throughout the entire district and, and that people know who I am and that I'm consistent with my messaging and what I have to say. Also, your district, Sandra, it's on the border with Mexico, and border security is one of your top campaign issues. Now, your challenger, or your, the incumbent Democrat congressman, he opposes building a wall. He even calls it a 14th century solution. And instead, what he's opted to do is he criticized the immigration detention centers, and his solution to the influx of illegals was mainly just throwing money at it, with more taxpayer money for patrol vehicles and salaries. What would be your plan on stopping the border crisis? Yes, that, that, that's actually one of my favorite catchphrases from him. He always says it's a 14th century uh, problem that needs a 21st century solution. But our, our, the people who are, are broaching the wall, if you will, or breaching the wall, they're not, they're not looking to use the 21st century solutions. They're still, they're still doing a lot of old school tactics, if you will. So we have to be smart with how we approach border security. We, we, we can't keep doing the same thing, which is talking about it or saying, well, this is what we need. We have to actually start putting actions to it. A lot of it is taking care of our Border Patrol agents. Right now, they're doing things that are not necessarily within their job description. Uh, they're having to do more paperwork in terms of and, and, and less securing our border. We, those are things that are vital. We can talk about having all this, the the uh, equipment and tools and you know drones and virtual walls, physical walls, whatever you want to talk about. But until we actually start taking care of our agents and their needs, we're never going to have enough boots on the ground. It doesn't matter how many people we hire, and we have to start looking at these retention situations. You know, it's great that we we do need to have new agents. We constantly need to 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 be hiring, of course, but we want to be able to keep agents, seasoned agents. 
We need to make sure, hey, where, why are we losing these, this, you know, why are we losing agents? Why aren't many of them wanting to stick around? Of course, we saw during the, the forced vaccine, uh, many agents were, were not willing to stick around for that. A lot of them just, up, uh, you know, agents were just up and quitting. Some were waiting to see, you know, they filed their religious exemption forms or their medical exemption forms, uh, you know, and when, when their union and, and the federal government, their employer is not looking out for the agent's best interests. They're looking out for Washington, D.C.'s best best interests. That's not, that's not going to create an environment where more agents are going to want to be at. So, uh, you know, one of the things that he talks about is, you know, trying to, uh, throw more money at the situation and, and money is definitely a needed issue. Um, but if we're not actually going to utilize it properly and put in what the agents need, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, the incumbent likes to now focus on is the no border wall coalition. Well, the no border wall coalition sounds all fine and dandy until you realize that they're putting butterflies and endangered owls over the lives of people who are being smuggled through there. Um, and, and they're not actually talking to the people, you know, they're, they're, they're giving their talking points, but they're not giving the reality points. And the reality points is, is that they are putting endangered uh, owls and butterflies over little children who are being trafficked by coyotes so that they can try and get into the country easier or, you know, so they can be sex farmed or, or, or whatever the case may be. So we, that that no border wall coalition it started you know down here and it it really was it's a toxic environment and the fact that a, a sitting congressman is on board with that especially one who lives here on the border and and i understand part of it is he thought that this was a great way to try and shut down and 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 be in the good graces of uh, and I use quotation marks there, but of of uh, the landowners to try and stop the imminent domain conversation and things along those lines. But most of the landowners want border security because this is running through their properties. And and they'll tell you the same thing that you know we've been saying over and over again. This isn't like it used to be. Now we're having where people would just run through our through their properties. Now they're not just running through their properties. They're stopping to destroy as much as they can along the way. Cut fences, let cattle out. Uh, catch things on fire, you know, wrongful death suits, uh, lawsuits are happening to these property owners now. So there, there's a whole issue that's coming up that's being overlooked because it's not the DC talking points for either side. And so th they kind of don't know what to do. And so they just are throwing their hands up and we're seeing where uh, House Republicans are doing the same thing. Now, one of the things, Sandra, that I've seen happen a lot is when you have a conservative Republican that gets elected into office and they think that by being elect that, that they're going to be facing their opposition that might be fair and open-minded. And they're very surprised when actually their opposition or the Democrat is actually has a hidden agenda. So now in this case, many current border patrol agents have said that the new Biden appointed head of the border patrol is actually complicit with the influx of millions of illegal aliens. And it's obvious that also Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is complicit as well. It's as if these people were putting key positions to sabotage protecting the border. So how are you, Sandra, going to deal with these people that are in these key positions, but they're not there to do their job? They're actually there to obstruct. And you're absolutely right. We saw here uh, in Laredo sector, in fact, uh, where Border Patrol agents essentially, not essentially, they they straight up told Mayorkas and, and uh Ortiz, hey, this isn't what we signed up for. 
you know, it, it, bad things happen when good men sit around and do nothing, I, I believe was the direct quote from the agent. And, uh, you know, that, that started quite the, uh, the, the spark, if you will, in the room. And, uh, I, I was, I've never been prouder of our border patrol agents for standing up. That's the whole thing. And, and they're spot on. As long as we allow these bad people with, with bad intentions for our border to continue to be the ones that are making positions instead of holding them accountable. This is, this is a simple process. You know, we, we've got bureaucrats, which is what they are at that level, uh, making decisions that elected officials should be making. Uh, they're not running it through the proper checks. And if they are, then it's time to start holding those people responsible. One of the things we do have to flip the house. That's, that's imperative for 2022. But if we flip the house and we allow the same song and dance style people to go in there that are only going to be held accountable to the the lobbyists or or to the special interest groups or whatever it's very clear where their where their loyalties lie with me you know that my loyalties lie with the agents and with we the people because I'm not taking all of these special interests or or you know big endorsements or anything like that in fact I I originally told the border patrol union I'm not going to go to Washington, D.C. to play games. I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. to fight for the agents. And they tried to song and dance around it, but the reality of it is is that they want a puppet, and they're not getting a puppet with me. I'm going to hold people accountable. I'm going to ask Mayorkas to his face and Ortiz and all of the other ones who have been there who know they know better. That's the whole key. They know better. They know the reality of what's happening on the border. But instead, they, they want to propagate whatever this, this you know, toxic Biden administration would rather, would rather do instead of taking care of our border and taking care of our agents. Our, our, the supervisors and, the, and, and the, the high up bureaucrats, if you will, within these agencies, that's their responsibility is to take care of our agents because our agents can do their jobs on the border and they're not doing that. And it's time they get held responsible for it. And that's exactly what I will do. Now, also, Sandra, this these last couple of years, the government has tasted blood, as I like to say. You know, they've seen that with an emergency pandemic, the rights and the liberties of the people can be violated with little or no pushback. So what would you do in Washington to prevent government from creating another emergency to violate people's rights and liberties? You know, I I don't think that we'll ever be able to to stop them from creating these emergencies. But I think what we can do is we can stand up and fight for the rights of our our, our God given rights of the Constitution. Those are what got trampled on. Those are what are still getting trampled on now, two, almost two years later. And and more and more people are finally waking up to that. But we have to start calling this stuff out. We have to start holding these people accountable. We we all who were paying attention when this started two years ago, we saw the bad actors right away. We saw that that Fauci would immediately. Everyone said, "Why why is Dr. Fauci in in Trump's inner circle all of a sudden?" Why is, you know, why isn't Vice President Pence actually doing the right thing? Why is he playing this game? And you know, so there was a lot of unanswered questions then, and I think that what the left has been po popular and been really good at doing is continuing these, these uh, crises and these emergencies to keep us, you know, running around like chickens with our heads cut off so that we can't address the issues. So I think it's important that we go backwards a little bit, start addressing these issues. And, you know, sometimes the best way to address it is get rid of those people. Get Fauci out of these places of, 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 of uh, 
high importance that he's kind of self-given himself or has, has quote unquote earned his way up there. This is where we go back to the bureaucrats are running the United States instead of the elected officials. Well, he's been there for 986 years, so he must know what he's talking about. No, he's been bought and paid for a very long time ago. And if you actually listen to what he's been saying for the last just two years, you see where he contradicts himself almost every single time he opens his mouth. We don't need somebody who's going to continually contradict themselves. Get him out of there. Nobody voted him in there, so let's get him the heck out of there. That's what we got to do. Just start firing people. That's what any other corporation or business would do. And Sandra, currently our national debt is at about $30 trillion, which is roughly about $240,000 per taxpayer. Do you have any plans to address the national debt and actually cut spending when you get to Washington? Absolutely. You know, we talked about it a lot during uh, the CARES Act distribution and things along those lines where we just saw this out of control, ridiculous amount of spending. Uh, we saw it even further when our current representative, who is a senior member on the Appropriations Committee and was, is, uh, for lack of better terms, signing his ex on those, those trillion dollar checks as they were going out uh, of the people's bank account, he he's he said in it he stated in an interview right after the CARES Act money started getting dispersed and people were going wait a minute how come some counties are getting more how come some counties are getting less you know what what, what how's this breakdown working and and he said well we didn't really know how that money was going to get spent wait a minute wait a minute you 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 signed these you signed these ridiculous packages into law you know it kind of goes back to what we saw several years ago well we have to sign it we have to pass it so we can see what's in it could you imagine doing that at your house your place of business or something along those lines it just it, it doesn't make sense i get sometimes you got to you know buy the mystery bag uh, but you don't do that when you're writing with other people's checks this isn't the grab bag at the Dollar Tree. This is, this is uh, you know, people's lives that we're dealing with here. And when your senior member of your appropriations committee is going, Meh, I didn't really know how the money was going to get spent, you had the authority to author that into these, you know, 5,000-page bills, and you did nothing. You sat quietly. So he was equally as complacent as the person who physically put that in there. Uh, we got to start holding these these type of situations accountable. We got to start, you know, enacting sunset clauses on some of these these organizations that don't belong in Washington, D.C. anymore. I Sometimes they take a lot of heat, but I say, hey, we got to get rid of the Department of Education. Education was never a federal right. It's a state's right, not a federal right. So why, why why are we allowing the federal government to get their fingers involved in our children's education? They need to butt out. We've got to start holding DC accountable for what the founding fathers had in mind and quit letting them be the, uh, the neighborhood gossip of Washington, DC and saying, Oh, we have to be involved with this. Oh, we have to be involved with that. Well, why that what's what we weren't supposed to be. Yeah. But if we don't, then somebody else is, you know what I mean? It, it's just turned into a huge gossip ring. So now they feel like they're assumed to have to take care of it it's time to stop that. Once we start saying no, just like we have to with our kids, just like we have to with our homes, just like we have to with our businesses, no, we're not spending money on this or no, you don't need to have a brand new car every six months for this department. You know, those are the kind of reckless spending items that we've got to get rid of. You know, sending $25 million to the Kennedy Center, things along those lines that had nothing to do with what the federal government's bank account is supposed to be dealing with. So that that's the kind of reckless spending that, we're, that we really are talking about that we need to get rid of. Sandra, would you say that your district is mainly Hispanic? <laughs> it, it is, in fact, uh, you know, statistically, it's, it's, it's well over a 70 percent 
uh, Hispanic district. And, and, you know, that, that doesn't bother me at all. My, I'm, I have a an even higher percentage of that in my own home. So, uh, that, you know, my, my husband and my, my children are all Hispanic. Uh, I've never allowed that to be a barrier. We're not any different on the inside just because the skin on the outside or the twang on the outside is a little bit different. So, you know, I know a lot of people like to try and, and use that as a weapon against me, but I've lived in our district for 13 years and I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still trucking. So that, that, um, uh, I welcome it. We're, we're supposed to be a diverse group and we're supposed to be welcoming. And, and, and I hope that that's exactly what people see when they see me. And one of the, issues with that is that some minorities tend to use the race card when they're in the minority, but when they're in the majority, they seem to want to exclude anyone outside their race. Have you experienced anything like this in your district? And if so, how are you dealing with it? So yes, but if I tried to complain about it, then I, you know, I, I would probably be taking away from, from people who have, you know, had years of suffrages and things along those lines. So the way that we we deal with it is just like we do everything else. We the Bible tells us to treat others the way that we want to be treated, and that's what I do. Uh, one of my opponents does like to try and make a talking point out of the fact that if if she's elected, she'd be the first Hispanic Republican woman to to go to Washington D.C. for this seat, and and I I finally had to to stop that rhetoric and say, look, anybody who gets this seat is going to be making history. It's never been a Republican seat, so let's let's quit making it about race. Let's quit making it. About about our gender and let's make it about the actual issues of why we should be in Washington DC because I don't want somebody to vote for me because I'm a woman and I'm 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 Anglo. I want people to vote for me because they really think that I'm going to be the fighter that's going to go to Washington DC who's not going to get up there and play bureaucratic and and, and lobbyist games that's going to get in there and you know kick butt and and uh, fix our country. And when people have to pander on those other issues what why are they really running then? So, Sandra, your congressional district 28 is pretty vast. It includes uh, Bear, Guadalupe, Atascosa, McMullen, Webb, Zapata, Star, Jim Hogg, and Duval counties. Your website is SandraForTexas.com. So tell Boris why you're the best choice for District 28. Well, uh, you know, we... I, I make sure that I spend time in all nine of our counties and then some. Uh, I did before the redistricting maps and I, I haven't stopped since. Uh, I've built relationships in each one of our counties because that's they want to know who they're electing. I'm not just somebody who came in last minute because I thought, hey, I wanted to run for this office. I live in our district. Regardless of if regardless of what happens March 1st, regardless of what happens in November, I'm still a resident of District 28. My opponents can't say the same thing. So when you're voting for Sandra Witten, you're voting for one of your neighbors. You're voting for somebody who has been vested in this district for, for over a decade. And I'm the right choice because I know what matters. I know the struggles that we've faced for, for many, many years. And they're not secondhand stories to me. They're firsthand stories. I know what it's like to, to deal with the corruption in our local governments. I know what it's like to feel like we haven't had a voice or that we felt like Washington, D.C. or Austin has forgotten about us. And instead of just knowing what that feels like, I've been involved and I've been active and I've made sure that our voices are no longer silent in either one of those places. I made sure that we make the noise that is necessary to bring down not just the people who can do something about it, but the people who are doing something about it. That's something that none of my opponents can claim that they've done. I make sure that our district gets what we need because I have been a tireless 
uh, warrior for it. And so if I'm already fighting this hard without getting a paycheck for it, can you imagine how hard I'm going to fight once I'm actually there? And I promise that that's not going to change. Regardless of what anybody can try and throw throw my direction, one thing that nobody can say is that my passion is not for Congressional District 28. And so I, I will fight with my very last breath for, for everything that is, is rightfully ours. And I'll make sure that the stuff, it's time to start cutting stuff. It's time to start making sure we have clean bills and things along those lines. And that's the kind of warrior I am. I will always be the transparent warrior for you so that you see exactly what we have going on. So I appreciate your support. I know that election day is coming up upon us and I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this interview now because I've been uh, telling our voters, hey, get, get as close to election day to vote as possible. So uh, it, now's the time to get out and vote. And if you've already voted, Bring somebody to the polls that hasn't. Make sure they're educated, not just on my race, but all of the races. This is a very important primary for so many different offices. And please, please be a poll watcher and be at the polls. Help be persuasive. Tell people why you're passionate about whoever you voted for. So uh, whatever you can do to help, go to my website, SandraForTexas.com. We really appreciate it. Uh, our YouTube page and our Facebook page always has lots of fun little videos and stuff to tell you a little bit more about who we are. It's a little bit better updated than our website. But you can always uh, go in there and get plugged in. And I'm always the person to respond to the emails. So uh, when you email Sandra for Texas, you're, you're getting Sandra for Texas. So uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I look forward to representing you guys. Sandra, be safe out there as you travel the district and all the best to you on the campaign trail. And thank you for being on the Keep Texas Red podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Keep Texas Red podcast. Follow us on keeptexasred.org.